Chapter Twenty Five of the Book of the Damned. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of the Damned by Charles Fort. Chapter Twenty Five. A formation having the shape of a dirigible. It was reported from Huntington, West Virginia. Luminous object that was seen July 19, 1916, at about 11 p.m. Observed through, quote, rather powerful field glasses, it looked to be about two degrees long and a half a degree wide. It gradually dimmed, disappeared, reappeared, and then faded out of sight. Another person, as we say, it would be too inconvenient to hold our intermediatist recognitions, Another person who observed this phenomenon suggested to the writer of the account that the object was a dirigible, but the writer says that faint stars could be seen behind it. This would seem really to oppose our notion of a dirigible visitor to this earth, except for the inconclusiveness of all things in a mode of seeming that is not final, or we suggest that behind some parts of the object, thing, construction, faint stars were seen. We find a slight discussion here. Professor H. M. Russell thinks that the phenomenon was a detached cloud of aurora borealis. Upon page 369 of this volume of the Scientific American, another correlator suggests that it was a light from a blast furnace. Disregarding that, if there be blast furnaces in or near Huntington, their reflections would be commonplace there. We now have several observations upon cylindrical-shaped bodies that have appeared in this Earth's atmosphere. Cylindrical, but pointed at both ends, or torpedo-shaped. Some of the accounts are not very detailed, but out of the bits of description my own acceptance is that supergeographical routes are traversed by torpedo-shaped superconstructions that have occasionally visited, or that have occasionally been driven into, this earth's atmosphere from data the acceptance is that upon entering this earth's atmosphere these vessels have been so racked that they have not sailed away disintegration would have occurred that before leaving this earth they have whether in attempted communication or not or in mere wantonness or not dropped objects which did almost immediately violently disintegrate or explode Upon general principles, we think that explosives have not been purposely dropped, but that parts have been racked off and have fallen, exploding like the things called ball lightning. Many have been objects of stone or metal with inscriptions upon them, for all we know, at present. In all instances, estimates of dimensions are valueless, but ratios of dimensions are more acceptable. A thing said to have been six feet long may have been six hundred feet long. But shape is not so subject to the illusion of distance. Nature 40, 415. That, August 5, 1889, during a violent storm, an object that looked to be about 15 inches long and 5 inches wide fell, rather slowly, at East Twickenham, England. It exploded. No substance from it was found. Linné Scientifique, 1864, 54. That, October 10, 1864, Monsieur Leverrier 
had sent to the academy three letters from witnesses of a long luminous body tapering at both ends that had been seen in the sky in thunder and lightning page eighty seven flammarion says that on august twentieth eighteen eighty during a rather violent storm m a trecoul of the french academy saw a very brilliant yellowish-white body apparently thirty-five to forty centimeters long and about twenty-five centimeters wide torpedo-shaped or a cylindrical body quote, with slightly conical ends it dropped something and disappeared in the clouds whatever it may have been that was dropped it fell vertically like a heavy object and left a luminous train the scene of this occurrence may have been far from the observer no sound was heard for m trecoul's account see comtes rindus one o three eight four nine monthly weather review nineteen o seven three ten that july second nineteen o seven in the town of burlington vermont a terrific explosion had been heard throughout the city a ball of light or a luminous object had been seen to fall from the sky or from a torpedo-shaped thing or construction in the sky no one had seen this thing that had exploded fall from a larger body that was in the sky but if we accept that at the same time there was a larger body in the sky my own acceptance is that a dirigible in the sky or a construction that showed every sign of disrupting had barely time to drop whatever it did drop and to speed away to safety above the following story is told in the review by bishop john s michaud quote, i was standing on the corner of church and college streets just in front of the Howard Bank, and facing east, engaged in conversation with ex-Governor Woodbury and Mr. A. A. Buell, when, without the slightest indication or warning, we were startled by what sounded like a most unusual and terrific explosion, evidently very nearby. Raising my eyes, and looking eastward along College Street, I observed a torpedo-shaped body some three hundred feet away, stationary in appearance and suspended in the air about fifty feet above the tops of the buildings. In size it was about six feet long by eight inches in diameter, the shell or covering having a dark appearance with here and there tongues of fire issuing from spots on the surface, resembling red-hot unburnished copper. Although stationary when first noticed, this object soon began to move rather slowly and disappeared over Dolan Brothers' store, southward. As it moved, the covering seemed rupturing in places, and through these the intensely red flames issued. Bishop Michaud attempts to correlate it with meteorological observations. Because of the nearby view, this is perhaps the most remarkable of the new correlates, but the correlate now coming is extraordinary because of the great number of recorded observations upon it. My own acceptance is that, upon November 17, 1882, a vast dirigible crossed England, but by the definiteness, indefiniteness of all things quasi-real, some observations upon it can be correlated with anything one pleases. E. W. Maunder, invited by the editors of the Observatory to write some reminiscences for the 500th number of their magazine, gives one that he says stands out it is upon something that he terms quote, a strange celestial visitor 
Maunder was at the Royal Observatory, Greenwich, November 17, 1882, at night. There was an aurora without features of special interest. In the midst of the aurora, a great circular disk of greenish light appeared and moved smoothly across the sky. But the circularity was evidently the effect of foreshortening. The thing passed above the moon and was, by other observers, described as cigar-shaped, like a torpedo, a spindle, a shuttle. The idea of foreshortening is not mine, Maunder says this. He says, quote, had the incident occurred a third of a century later, beyond doubt everyone would have selected the same simile. It would have been, quote, just like a zeppelin, end quote. The duration was about two minutes. Color said to have been the same as that of the auroral glow in the north. Nevertheless, Maunder says that this thing had no relation to the auroral phenomena. Quote, it appeared to be a definite body, end quote. Motion too fast for a cloud, but, quote, nothing could be more unlike the rush of a meteor, end quote. In the Philosophical Magazine, 5.15.3.18, J. Rand Capron, in a lengthy paper, alludes throughout to this phenomenon as in, quote, auroral beam, end quote. But he lists many observations upon its, quote, torpedo shape, and one observation upon a, quote, dark nucleus, in it, host of most confusing observations, estimates of height between forty and two hundred miles, observations in Holland and Belgium. We are told that, according to Capron's spectroscopic observations, the phenomenon was nothing but a beam of auroral light. In the observatory, 6192, is Maunder's contemporaneous account. He gives apparent approximate length and breadth at 27 degrees and 3 degrees and a half. He gives other observations seeming to indicate structure, quote, remarkable dark marking down the center, end quote. In Nature, 2784, Capron says that because of the moonlight, he had been able to do little with the spectroscope. Color white, but aurora rosy. Nature, 2787. Bright stars seen through it, but not at the zenith, where it looked opaque. This is the only assertion of transparency. Too slow for a meteor, but too fast for a cloud. Quote, surface had a mottled appearance. Quote, very definite in form like a torpedo. Quote, probably a meteoric object. Dr. Groenman. Technical demonstration by Dr. Groenman that it was a cloud of meteoric matter. See Nature, 27, 315, 338, 365, 388, 412, and 434. Quote, very little doubt it was an electric phenomenon, end quote. Proctor, in Knowledge, 2, 419. In the London Times, November 20th, 1882, the editor says that he had received a great number of letters upon this phenomenon. He publishes two. One correspondent described it as, quote, well-defined and shaped like a fish, extraordinary and alarming, end quote. The other correspondent writes of it as, quote, a most magnificent luminous mass shaped somewhat like a torpedo, end quote. End of chapter 25 Chapter 26 Notes and Queries 5, 
3.306. About eight lights that were seen in Wales over an area of about eight miles, all keeping their own ground, whether moving together perpendicularly, horizontally, or over a zigzag course. They looked like electric lights, disappearing, reappearing dimly, then shining as bright as ever. Quote, we have seen them three or four at a time afterward on four or five occasions. London Times, October 5, 1877. Quote, From time to time, the west coast of Wales seems to have been the scene of mysterious lights. And now we have a statement from Towen that within the last few weeks, lights of various colors have been seen moving over the estuary of the Dasani River and out to sea. They are generally in a northerly direction, but sometimes they hug the shore and move at high velocity for miles towards Aberdovey and suddenly disappear. End quote. Lanis Scientifique, 1877-45. Lights that appeared in the sky above Vos, France, March 23, 1877, described as balls of fire of dazzling brightness, appeared from a cloud about a degree in diameter moving relatively slowly. They were visible more than an hour, moving northward. It is said that eight or ten years before, similar lights or objects had been seen in the sky at Vos. London Times, September 19, 1848. That at Inverness, Scotland, two large bright lights that looked like stars had been seen in the sky, sometimes stationary, but occasionally moving at high velocity. Lani Scientifique, 1888-66, observed near St. Petersburg, July 30th, 1880, in the evening, a large spherical light and two smaller ones moving along a ravine, visible three minutes, disappearing without noise. Nature, 35-173. That at Iloilo, September 30th, 1886, was seen a luminous object the size of the full moon. It, quote, floated slowly, quote, northward, followed by smaller ones close to it. The false lights of Durham, every now and then in the English newspapers, in the middle of the 19th century, there is something about lights that were seen against the sky, but as if not far above land, oftenest upon the coast of Durham. They were mistaken for beacons by sailors, wreck after wreck occurred. The fishermen were accused of displaying false lights and profiting by wreckage. The fishermen answered that mostly only old vessels, worthless except for insurance, were so wrecked. In 1866, from the London Times, popular excitement became intense. There was an investigation. Before a commission headed by Admiral Collinson, testimony was taken. One witness described the light that had deceived him as, quote, considerably elevated above ground. No conclusion was reached. The lights were called, quote, the mysterious lights. But whatever the, quote, false lights of Durham may have been, they were unaffected by the investigation. In 1867, the Tyne Pilotage Board took the matter up. Opinion of the Mayor of Tyne, a mysterious affair. In the Report of the British Association, 1877-152, there is a description of a group of, quote, meteors that traveled with, quote, remarkable slowness. They were in sight about three minutes, 
Remarkable, it seems, is scarcely strong enough. One reads of remarkable as applied to a duration of three seconds. These meteors had another peculiarity. They left no train. They are described as, quote, seemingly huddled together like a flock of wild geese and moving with the same velocity and grace of regularity, end quote. Journal of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, November and December, 1913. That, according to many observations collected by Professor Chant of Toronto, there appeared upon the night of February 9th, 1913, a spectacle that was seen in Canada, the United States, and at sea, and in Bermuda. A luminous body was seen. To it there was a long tail. The body grew rapidly larger, quote, Observers differ as to whether the body was single, or was composed of three or four parts with a tail to each part, quote. The group, or complex structure, moved with, quote, a peculiar, majestic deliberation. Quote, it disappeared in the distance, and another group emerged from its place of origin. Onward they moved at the same deliberate pace in twos or threes or fours, end quote. They disappeared. A third group, or a third structure, followed. Some observers compared the spectacle to a fleet of airships, others to battleships attended by cruisers and destroyers. According to one writer, quote, there were probably thirty or thirty-two bodies, and the peculiar thing about them was their moving in fours and threes and twos, abreast of one another and so perfect was the lining up that you would have thought it was an aerial fleet maneuvering after rigid drilling. End quote. Nature, May 25th, 1893. A letter from Captain Charles J. Norcock of HMS Caroline. That, upon the 24th of February, 1893, at 10 p.m., between Shanghai and Japan, the officer of the watch had reported, quote, some unusual lights. They were between the ship and a mountain. The mountain was about 6,000 feet high. The lights seemed to be globular. They moved sometimes massed, but sometimes strung out in an irregular line. They bore, quote, northward until lost to sight. Duration, two hours. The next night the lights were seen again. They were for a time eclipsed by a small island. They bore north at about the same speed and in about the same direction as speed and direction of the Caroline. But they were lights that cast a reflection. There was a glare upon the horizon under them. A telescope brought out but few details, that they were reddish and seemed to emit a faint smoke. This time the duration was seven and a half hours. Then Captain Norcock says that in the same general locality, and at about the same time, Captain Castle of HMS Leander had seen the lights. He had altered his course and had made towards them. The lights had fled from him. At least they had moved higher in the sky. Monthly Weather Review, March 1904-115 Reports from the observations of three members of his crew by Lieutenant Frank F. Schofield, United States Navy, of the USS Supply. February 24, 1904. Three luminous objects of different sizes, the largest having an apparent area of about six suns. 
When first sighted, they were not very high. They were below clouds of an estimated height of about one mile. They fled or evaded, or they turned. They went up into the clouds below which they had at first been sighted. Their unison of movement. But they were of different sizes, and of different susceptibilities to all forces of this earth and of the air. Monthly Weather Review, August, 1898, 358. Two letters from C. N. Krotzenberg, Crow Agency, Montana. That, in the summer of 1896, when this writer was a railroad postal clerk, or one who was experienced in train phenomena, while his train was going, quote, northward, from Trenton, Montana, he and another clerk saw, in the darkness of a heavy rain, a light that appeared to be round and of a dull rose color, and seemed to be about a foot in diameter. It seemed to float within a hundred feet of the earth, but soon rose high, or, quote, midway between horizon and zenith. The wind was quite strong from the east, but the light held a course almost due north. Its speed varied. Sometimes it seemed to outrun the train, quote, considerably. At other times, it seemed to fall behind. The mail clerks watched until the town of Linville, Iowa, was reached. Behind the depot of this town, the light disappeared and was not seen again. All this time there had been rain, but very little lightning, but Mr. Krotzenberg offers the explanation that it was, quote, ball lightning. The editor of the review disagrees. He thinks that the light may have been a reflection from the rain, or fog, or from leaves of trees glistening with rain, or the train's light, but not lights. In the December number of the review is a letter from Edward M. Boggs, that the light was a reflection perhaps from the glare, one light this time, from the locomotive's firebox, upon wet telegraph wires, an appearance that might not have been striated by the wires, but consolidated into one rotundity, that it had seemed to oscillate with the undulations of the wires, and had seemed to change horizontal distance with the varying angles of reflection, and had seemed to advance or fall behind when the train had rounded curves, all of which is typical of the best of quasi-reasoning. It includes and assimilates diverse data, but it excludes that which will destroy it. That, acceptably, the telegraph wires were alongside the track beyond as well as leading to Linville. Mr. Krotzenberg thinks of, quote, ball lightning, which, though a sore bewilderment to most speculation, is usually supposed to be a correlate with the old system of thought. But his awareness of, quote, something else is expressed in other parts of his letters when he says that he has something to tell that is, quote, so strange that I should never have mentioned it, even to my friends, had it not been corroborated. So unreal that I hesitate to speak of it, fearing that it was some freak of the imagination. End, quote. End of chapter 26